Good morning. How great is our God. We are so thankful for the opportunity to come together as a body of Christ and worship our great King and God. Um, Isaiah 12 says, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the peoples what he has done. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. And so today we celebrate all with Christians all around the globe, all that God is and all that he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's stand and worship our King. Thank you. 
joy divine leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine leaning on the everlasting arms. I'm sure all of us have a time in our lives or maybe every day when we think about how we have been leaning on his everlasting arms. And I know that it helps us to hear each other and how we're growing in our faith and trusting in the Lord through tricky times and through normal times. So I thought I would ask some of our vocalists to share a little bit about how they have leaned on his everlasting arms, either in general or in a specific situation. So Reese is going to start us off. I have a tendency to feel anxious. And in times of stress, sickness, and loss, leaning on God's everlasting arms can help me stay calm and carry on as I hold on to his divine and sure promises. Here are a few. The Lord watches over all who love him. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If God cares so wonderfully for the flowers, won't he surely care for you? So I can say with the hymn writer, be still, my soul, the Lord is on your side. It was almost exactly two years ago in August of 2020 <clears throat> that I went through the, one of the biggest changes, the most difficult um, painful time of my life, um, went through a divorce that I, I didn't choose, couldn't change, and eventually had to accept after 39 years of marriage. And I just, I, I only knew two people here at Wheaton Bible, a, a, a wonderful couple. Um, and they encouraged me, and I, I started in Saturday men's Bible study, and my small men, uh, small, uh, men's small group uh, from there was you know, my, my supporting structure. I, I went through divorce care at Wheaton Bible Church on Monday nights, two semesters of it, because one just wasn't enough for me. I still needed to learn more. 
And um, I just remember talking to my friend in, in the middle of the turmoil and the pain, and I said, you know, the strange thing about it is I, I have a peace. And, and through that peace, I'm, I'm feeling a joy, and it, it just doesn't make sense. It's, this is not a happy circumstance, and yet there's this peace. And it just brings me back to the verse we just sang, um, the third verse of Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning. Safe and secure from all alarms. Safe and secure. So therefore, I know I have confidence in those everlasting arms that I can lean and feel safe and secure. And I know that's the same for you today. I don't know how many of you, by show of hands, would tell me that you dipped your toe in the real estate market in the last two to three day, years. It's changed. It's tough. Um, you get this call from the realtor and says, this house isn't even on the market yet, but I heard about this house that might be coming on the market. I can get you in at 11 o'clock this morning to see it. So you rush over, you see the house, you got about 45 minutes to go through it and see what you can see. And then you walk out the door and they say, you know, if you have any chance at this house, you probably need to put a bid in today. And then the next question is, and how much over the asking price are you willing to bid? And how high are you willing to go over your bid if you really want it? And what I've realized is that it puts you in a position of making decisions. And you say, Jim, why are you even bringing this up? Kathy and I have been going through this for about the last six months. And you find yourself in a position where you're not making the decisions. You can't make a decision. You can't rely on your own ability to make a decision. You have to rely on what God is putting in your way. We have to lean on his arms. We have to accept that fact that he's holding us in his hands. And our prayer has been not one of, God, open the doors. But ours has been more one of, God, shut the door. If this isn't right, just shut the door. And we have seen time after time where God has said, nope, this isn't the right place. We even put bids in on, on places and it was like the doors got shut. And we just had to wait for God to open those doors. We had to lean on him. We had to rely on his everlasting arms. We had to re re just rely on the fact that he was holding us in his hands. Wonderful to hear stories of how each of us is leaning on him. And I know that as, as we lean on him, we depend. And Dr. Payne wrote this great song in the secret of his presence that we've sang before. But that definitely fits with what we're talking about today. We're leaning into him. We are just letting him be our God and let us rest in him. So let's stand and continue to worship. secret of his presence there my soul delights to hide oh how precious are the moments that i spend at jesus side earthly cares cannot distract me nor can trials bring me low for when sin 
to God's presence, we often and probably always feel convicted of the sin that we have and, and are confessing that sin to him. So we're going to take a moment to confess as a body uh, our sin to the Lord and allow him to forgive us and renew us. Let's pray together. Read aloud with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. One of the results of our confession is peace. Peace with God, peace with others. So let's sing and celebrate that with this next song.
Hi, good morning, familia. As you uh, probably noticed, I've been uh, gone, uh, gone for a few weeks this summer, and um, I've been taking some, some vacation, but more than that, I, I took some time uh, to get engaged in different parts of our ministry, and I just wanted to share really quick before we go to the pastoral prayer, uh, something that I experienced and got to see this past week uh, in which I had two unique opportunities. So at the beginning of the last week, I, I, I don't know why, but I decided to join our high school team in their mission trip to Cleveland. The reason why I say I don't know why is because every time I go, I enjoy it, but at the same time, I suffer. That's just kind of how it is. Um, so I, I got to be, uh, spend time with our students for three days, from Monday to Wednesday. And there are two main reasons why I usually do that. Number one is, uh, these are one of the few opportunities that I get as a, as a pastor to spend with, uh, with our students. But number two, more than that, I always look forward to joining them in those trips because I get to see firsthand what the Lord is doing in them and through them. And every time I go to those trips, and this was not an exception, I come back with this feeling of extreme um, holy pride in when I see how the Lord is using our students and he's using our leaders and how much of a difference a high school student can make in this world. So I want, I want to invite you to continue to pray for our students. What an amazing trip. I was exhausted. These people work like crazy. They don't consider me that I'm older now. <laughs> but it was so worth it. So worth it. Please continue to pray for our students and how the Lord is moving in their midst. The second opportunity I had, so this was from Monday to, uh, through Wednesday, and uh, from Thursday through uh, Monday, I got the opportunity to go to DR, Dominican Republic. Uh, I had a couple of meetings there. One, uh, I was going to spend time with my Gospel Coalition friends. It's always good to see what the Lord is doing around the world and in Latin America. But the second part of that week was to spend time with Vic and Leslie uh, Trotwin, which are some of the, our missionaries. They're part of this ministry called Kids Alive. Uh, listen, uh, many of you guys know them already. What an amazing couple. What an amazing group of people that are willing to sacrifice everything for the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom. I got to see, it was um, three days, kind of similar to the beginning of the week, from 7 o'clock in the morning to 11 p.m. Uh, they have about 2,000 2, students uh, participating in 70 schools and three foster care homes. Uh, they have a program in which they give grants for students to go to high school, and so far they have had 40 students graduate. Now, when, when, I, when those numbers doesn't seem much unless you get to see the kind of students they work with. These are students that are the poorest of the poor. Part of the experience was for me to see how these, some of these kids live. And we can't even imagine what it means to live in a, in a single room, seven kids with no food, completely vulnerable, and going through things that you can't even imagine. And yet, the Lord that is so good, so powerful, so merciful, rescues some of those kids and, and gives them dignity and value to make a difference in Dominican Republic. So let me share this story and then we pray. 
One of the things that the Trotman uh, did for me is they sat me with different people because they wanted me to hear these stories. And I got to meet this young man, 33 years old, a kid that came into one of the schools when he was seven years old. And he came into the school because their parents couldn't sustain him. And he came into the schools because uh, the mom had walked away from them because of different reasons. And he was living in extreme poverty. Now, I'm sitting with this 33-year-old man, him telling me his story. And he's walking me through the whole journey and how the Lord was using all these missionaries, all these teachers, all these people that loved him unconditionally. And now today, he's 33. He's a worship leader in his church. He is married and he has two kids. And he wants to give his kids everything he did not have. More than that, he wants to give them Jesus. Now, why share all of that? Because this is part of the reason why we give to the church and we give sacrificially. See, these missionaries are giving their lives and that's why we support them financially. See, this is also part of the reason why we sustain our ministries in our church. Because I wish you could see how the Lord is moving in our students. This is part of the reason why we are the church. And we believe in this powerful God that does amazing things. So if you have complaints about the church, listen, you are entitled to. But don't miss what the Lord is doing in you and through you. Don't miss how the Lord uses your finances and your resources for the glory of his name and the well-being of this country and world. Don't miss how beautiful and powerful is the God we worship. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful that as a church, not only we are called to love you and love one another, but you have called us to love the world, to make disciples of all the nations. Lord, I'm grateful for what you're doing in our students. I'm grateful, Lord, for the opportunity that you give our students to grow in their relationship with you to be willing to sacrifice for you and, he, and your kingdom. I am grateful, Lord, that you are powerful, that you are not bound to the four walls of this church, but you go beyond what we see here. I'm so grateful, Lord, for generous people that continue to support the church so we can continue to support those that are in the front line giving their lives for people. I pray, Lord, a special blessing upon their students and their leaders. I pray, Lord, for a special uh, blessing upon Kids Life Ministry in Dominican Republic. I pray, Lord, that in the name of Jesus, that you continue to move, Lord, in that ministry. And out of those 2,000 students, not only they graduate and become people, uh, healthy and good people in society, but th those 2,000 students come to the saving, of, saving and knowledge of Jesus Christ, if they, if they haven't done so. I'm so glad, Lord, that we get to be part of your church. I pray, Lord, that you continue to work in us. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you make of us sacrificial people. We pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And we all say, 
I want to remind you that there are three ways in how you can support the church financially. You could always give online, wittenbiblechurch.org slash give. You could always drop your offering at the end of the service in one of the boxes by the entrance. And for those of you that are worshiping at home, you could always send your offerings to the offices of the church. Now let's get ready for the reading of God's word. If you would please stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 8, uh, verses 18 through 34. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along with us, or if you have your Matthew journals, you can turn to page 42 and follow along as well. It says this, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming up from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came and went out into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. Um, I want to welcome you all again to Written Bible Church. Those of you that, of course, are here and I get to see face to face, and those of you worshiping with us online, um, it's always a blessing when we get together as believers to worship our God. If you're visiting for the first time, I always want to say that we are here, we exist. Part of the reason why we exist is to love you and serve you. So if there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. Today, we continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to talk about expectations. Um, I think that the question I'm trying to answer today is, what is it that we should expect if we are called to follow Jesus? What is it that you should expect if you are already a follower of Jesus or you become a follower of Jesus? And I think that's a very important question because expectations sets the tone for everything else, right? 
Pastor Sergio, which is one of the pastors in the church, uh, he is one of the pastors for the Spanish-speaking congregation, he says that one of the things he has learned when he's counseling couples is that many couples struggle. Part of the reason why many couples struggle is because in or within, or within marriage, they struggle with false, wrong, or even unrealistic expectations. Let me say that again. That if you're married, how many of you guys are married? How many of you guys wish, no, so how many of you guys are married, right? He argues, and I think that he's right, that part of the problem within our marriages, if you happen to have problems, is that we have either wrong or false or unrealistic expectations. Now, something tells me that most people here have been married for a while. But I remember having this conversation with a young man in which right at the beginning of his marriage, he's struggling with his new wife, and he says something like, I didn't sign up for this. And everything inside of me says, yes, you did. <laughs> like nobody, nobody, if you talk to anybody that has been married for more than two months, nobody would tell you that, mar that marriage is beautiful, that marriage is amazing, that it's God's idea and there's a purpose for it. Anybody that has been married for more than two months would tell you that marriage sometimes is hard. For goodness sakes, the Bible tells you that those who marry will face many troubles in this life. How is that not clear? Of course you signed up for this. You just had false or unrealistic expectations. I actually think that this is part of the reason why we struggle with many areas in life. So if you're a student, you struggle with the school because the reality of the school does not match the expectations of your mind. So if you struggle with friendship, it's because probably you have false or wrong or unrealistic expectations of what that relationship should be or, or should be like. If you struggle with work, probably it's because your expectations do not match or are in alignment with the reality of your work. And if you struggle with the church, most likely it's because you are seeking for the church of your dreams and you forgot that the church is full of sinful people. Expectations really matter. In any stage in life, expectations really matter. And this is also true for our relationship with Jesus. And this is also true in our spiritual journey. Sometimes if you struggle with Jesus the way I do, it's because your expectations of what that relationship should be or who Jesus is and what Jesus wants from you does not match the reality of what the Bible says those ex expectations should be. And that's why we read Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 34, because I believe that Jesus there is talking about precisely that. What are the expectations that we should have as believers, if you're a believer, in our spiritual journey with Jesus. And we're going to talk about three things. I think that you got to expect, and I have to expect, challenge. We have to expect wonder, and we have to expect the unexpected. You ought to expect the challenge, you ought to expect the wonder, and you ought to expect the unexpected. So I need you to do me a favor, look at the person next to you, if you have someone next to you, and say this. You need a reality check. Go ahead. 
Good. Come back. Point number one, expect the challenge. So the first section of this, uh, uh, of this gospel, of the, the passage we read, ver- goes from verse 18 to verse 22. And Jesus there is talking to two different individuals that are interested in following Jesus. So these two guys are not followers of Jesus just yet. They are considering, people may say, following Jesus. So if I put it in a different way, they may be attracted to Jesus, but they don't really understand what is required of them if they want to love and follow Jesus. So Jesus, that never compromised truth in the name of grace, and never compromised grace in the name of truth, confronts them in such a way that they must understand what it means to follow Jesus. The first individual here is a religious person. He's a teacher of the law, meaning that this is a person that understands and believes the entire Old Testament. He doesn't have any issues understanding what the Old Testament demands and says. But he approaches Jesus, and in verse 19, he says this, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, some scholars believe that when this religious leader, this teacher of the law, uses the term teacher, he might not be using the term with the right motives. The reason why they argue that is because in most of the Gospel of Matthew, Whenever a religious person, religious leader, uses the word teacher, usually their attitude is wrong and their motive is wrong. And I think that they might be right because of the way Jesus responds. In verse 20, Jesus says, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now that seems like a weird way to respond to this guy that is saying, I want to follow you. But let me give you my translation of what Jesus said there. Yes, I know that you want to follow me, says Jesus. That's great. Just know that following me has a cost. That just as I have no place to lay my head, and at times my life is uncomfortable and challenging, you will have to experience the same thing. If you choose to follow me, your life at times will be challenging and uncomfortable. Therefore, count the cost before you follow Count the cost. See, it seems like if Jesus can see and discern, which he can, the motives of this man's heart. And it seems to be like that this man, the reason why he's approaching Jesus and wants to follow Jesus is because he wants another level of of stability, comfort, and privilege. It seems to be like if this man saw that Jesus was becoming popular, is being accepted by society and loved by many, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, he thought that he could become more popular, have more stability and more privileges if he would become a follower of Jesus. Meaning that he saw Jesus as a means to an end. Meaning that most likely... In his heart, he didn't want to follow Jesus. He wanted what Jesus gives. You know what's crazy about this man, though? He already had comfort. He was already respected by society. He already had privilege. 
because he was a religious leader. Back in those days, in that context, all religious leaders were highly respected and honored just the way people do it today. It took you a while to, catch, to understand that one. But see, he struggles with the same thing that we all struggle with. Your heart always tells you that you don't have enough. Your heart always tells you that you are not enough, that you need to conquer more, that you need to have more, that you need to achieve more, that nothing is ever enough. That's interesting. That's not only what your heart says, that's what the world tells you. What's next? And Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, follow me, but remember that there's a cost. Expect the challenge. Things are not going to be easy. Now, this is a public conversation. And there's another man listening to this conversation. And I imagine this man listening to the conversation and saying, well, I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to follow Jesus. So he approaches Jesus and says, I want to follow you. But, verse 21, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, at a first glance, it doesn't seem like if this is a big issue. Actually, at a first glance, it seems like if this guy is doing the right thing. Why do I say that? Because in the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament is super clear. A good example of that would be Deuteronomy chapter 27. Super clear about kids or children honoring their parents and taking care of their parents. Therefore, the, what he's saying in that is that he's willing to care and honor his, his father by staying to bury him. Nothing wrong there. So, this is super interesting though. Jesus knows more about the Bible than what this guy does. And because Jesus can see people's motives and understand discerns people's motives, he says something weird. He says in verse 22, but Jesus told them, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So the question is, is Jesus contradicting what God in the Old Testament had already said? Now, if you know anything about Jesus, you know that not God, Jesus never contradicts what the Bible says. There's not one thing that Jesus uh, would contradict what the Old Testament had already said. He's not calling these men to not love his father, to not care for his father, to not honor his father. But what Jesus is doing is calling out his bluff. See, Jesus knows that if his father was dead, he wouldn't be there having that conversation with him. Because in that context and in that time, when someone will pass away, almost immediately there will be a burial. Within a day will be a burial. This guy wouldn't be here having this conversation with Jesus if that father was already dead. You know what he's saying to Jesus? Something like this. I understand the cost. I want to follow you. But not today. Apparently what's happening is that the father is still alive. 
And he's saying to Jesus, I will follow you. I will give my life to you. I'll surrender. I'll pay the price. I'll count the cost. But just give me a break until my father dies. And after I honor him, then I will follow you. And Jesus responds and says, if you want to follow me, it's today. Today. Not tomorrow, not later, not when you feel like it, not when you experience something today. This is why in Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, almost in a very, very similar way, you are called to carry your cross daily. Estimate the cost, he says. Interesting that 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 word in Luke chapter 14, to carry, literally can be translated as to remove something from you, to endure something if you're going to follow Jesus, and to accept what Jesus calls you to do today. And the word estimate is an accounting word. Make the proper calculations. If there's one thing that I love about the Bible, it's how honest it is. Can you see how radically different is what Jesus is saying to these almost Christians before they become Christians? Completely different to what we hear in modern day Christianity. See, the most popular Christians and speakers and preachers of Christianity today says that the reason why we come to Jesus is because he is going to fulfill all your dreams. He is going to fix all your problems. He is going to make your life better. And I think that that is partly true. But not before Jesus calls you and calls me to carry our cross. There is no life with Jesus without the cross of Jesus. There is no promise about the future without the struggles in the present. And Jesus is super clear. You, fo- you want to follow me? Count the cost. Don't be too quick to promise. And don't be too slow to perform. Count the cost and follow me. I think that even if you're a believer, even if I am a believer, which I'm supposed to be because if not, I couldn't be a pastor, this thing of following Jesus at all costs, and today, we still struggle with. Because for some reason, maybe just maybe, we have also believed that Jesus is for us, even if we don't commit to him, which is partly true. But a genuine believer understands that there is a cost. So this last week, as I'm spending time with all these people, and I'm looking at these missionaries and see the lifestyle of those teachers. By the way, those teachers that work in those schools are making much less than one they will make in a public school. Purposely. They chose to count the cost and follow Jesus. Even if it meant that they will be poor for the rest of their lives. Don't you think that Jesus wants us to have the right expectations? 
your lifestyle needs to match Jesus' expectations. Your dreams need to match Jesus' expectations. My dreams need to match Jesus' expectations. Jesus is not calling us to live like poor people, but Jesus is calling us to be willing to sacrifice what we need to sacrifice today. So the question someone may ask is, why would anyone willingly decide to follow Jesus if, if, if what Jesus demands is so personal, so costly? Well, point number two, expect the wonder. So Jesus finishes these conversations, and immediately he gets into a boat with his disciples, and his disciples followed him. Now, these are the, the real disciples, the ones that have already decided to follow Jesus. And when they are in the middle of this lake, in verse 24, he says that suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Now, the reason why I highlight, highlighted the word furious storm there is because that is a description of the magnitude of the storm. The word furious there literally means a mega storm, like humongous storm. And the word storm there can also be translated as an earthquake or chaos. So this was not a wimpy storm, you know? This was a mega storm. And you can't forget that some of the disciples are fishermen. So they have been in places like this before, going through something similar to what they're going here. But this storm is so huge, so massive, that they, are, they, they try to wake up Jesus uh, to to wake Jesus up, and they say this in verse 25, Lord, save us, we are going to drown. Once again, remember that these are the hardcore, tough fishermen that are crying out to Jesus like if they were little kids. We are going to drown. Of course, what makes that verse so interesting is that Jesus is sleeping. Now listen, I, I, the Bible doesn't say why he was sleeping. I think that there's only two possible explanations, right? Number one, either Jesus was really exhausted, super tired, he's been doing ministry left and right, he's exhausted to the point that he can't feel anything. That's a possibility, you know? I've seen people like that. I've seen people, I've seen teenagers like that. Is there in a van with a bunch of other teenagers that are screaming their lungs out, Listening to music that nobody can hear, right? The, the, the van moving up and down, uh, left and right, and the kid is just like. <laughs> that happens. So either Jesus is like that, or Jesus was sleeping because he's about to teach his disciples something about faith. Which, just in case you didn't get that, that is the reason. He's about to teach the disciples something about faith right in the middle of this mega storm. Now, before moving on, I want you to see that Jesus wakes up and he doesn't calm the storm right away. He addresses his disciples. Spurgeon says that the reason why he spoke to them first is because he was harder to deal with their heart than with the storm. I think the Spurgeon was right. So look at what he says in verse 26. He replied, 
you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Okay, how many of you guys struggle with that verse? Only me? Okay, so I'm not the only one reading the Bible. It doesn't make any sense to me. You know why it doesn't make any sense to me? Because you are in the middle of a megastorm. It seems like if Jesus is insensitive, you know? How is it that I'm in the middle of this storm and everything is shaking up and down and I feel that I'm going to die and Jesus says, hey, by the way, you're a man of little faith. Why are you afraid? What do you mean why I'm afraid? Even more, you know what the word afraid means? Coward. Oh, now he got a little personal. Jesus is waking up and he's saying, why are you so afraid of everything, you cowards? He didn't say it that tone because he's not sinful. I am. <laughs> but he said something like that. You are afraid. You are acting like cowards because you lack faith. You of little faith. Now, I want to spend a few minutes just in that phrase. Because it's all over the Gospel of Matthew. It's all over the Gospels. And it's a phrase, a phrase that, in my opinion, has been commonly misused and misapplied. So let me start saying first that Jesus is not saying that was abnormal what the disciples were feeling. That it was not abnormal that they're feeling fear when something is wrong. Actually, I want to make the argument that the feel of fear when something is going wrong is a good thing. It tells you that you are alive. If you don't feel fear when things are going wrong, you are probably dead. So that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus must be saying something completely different. He's not talking about just the feeling of fear. This is what Jesus is saying. That there's something wrong when a normal fear gets a hold of your heart in such a way that it controls you and makes you do illogical, irrational, contrary to reason, and abnormal things. Is when fear gets a hold of your heart in such a way, listen up, church, that you forget that Jesus was in the boat. That's the difference. When Jesus says to the disciples, you are of little faith, he's not saying that they lacked quality or quantity of faith. He's confronting them because they forgot that even though he was sleeping, he was still God. And he was in the boat with them. Your struggle and my struggle is because we forget who Jesus is and what he does. So when people tell you, you're going through this because you don't have enough faith, that's a lie from the devil. We don't need quality or quantity of faith. We need just faith. Believe in him. And just to make this right, and to prove his point, in verse 26 then, second part of verse 26, he says, then he got up and rebuked 
Which is interesting because people read that and they imagine Jesus saying, Stop in the name of Jesus. No, he, doesn't do, he doesn't do any of that. He commands, he speaks the, to the wind and the waves, and he was completely calm. The way I imagine it is something almost like this. Shh. Relax. And the storm calmed. This is what is interesting. The word calm there is the same word that we use for the word mega. So Jesus, the God that controls nature, the one that has authority and power over nature, the God that created nature is the one that, who speaks to nature and nature submits to him. He speaks to the mega storm and, command by, and immediately the mega storm turns into a mega calm. Immediately. And this is where I get the word wonder from. Verse 27, the men, the disciples, were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Can you see what Jesus is doing? He's teaching them that at the end of the day, what it means to have faith is not about quality or quantity. It's about having simple faith in him. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in him. He is the object of our faith. That he can do what he wants to do whenever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it. Let me, I'm going to make this more clear. And I used this example years ago. So if you, if you have been part of church for a while, you probably heard this before. Most likely, you don't remember what I said years ago. So here we go again. Let's imagine for a second um, when the Israelites were in Egypt and the Lord has sent all these plagues to deliver them. And if you remember, the last plague that God was going to send was sending this angel that was going to go over the houses, and the houses that didn't have blood on the doorpost will die. Remember that? So let's imagine for a second that there are two couples that night. The first couple is Peter and Mary. The second couple is Pedro and Maria. Got it? <laughs> Multi-ethnic couple there. Peter and Mary know what the Lord is going to do. They understand that the Lord had promised that if they put the blood on the doorpost, everything was going to be okay. Peter and Mary says, I can't wait. I want to see how powerful the Lord is. I want to see how the Lord is going to deliver us. I want to see God in action. Pedro and Maria, on the other hand, they're a little bit more hesitant. They're like, I know that the Lord could do this. I mean, he's done crazy stuff. Remember when we walked through the, you know, all that stuff? And they say, yeah, I, I believe the Lord, but I'm still afraid. I know that he's going to deliver us. Man, but I'm struggling. Here's a question for you. Who did the Lord delivered that night? Peter and Mary or Pedro and Maria? Whichever ethnicity you like. Which one got saved? And the answer is simple. Both. Right? 
because it didn't have to do with the quality or quantity of your faith. It had to do with God. That he was powerful to deliver. That he would accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. That he would do what he wanted to do. That's what it means to have faith in him. So let me go back to the question. Why would anyone willingly decide to follow Jesus if what he demands is so personal and so costly? And the answer is super simple. Because even though Jesus demands something so personal and so costly from his followers, there is nothing better, more satisfying, and more secure than to believe in the one that speaks to nature and nature submits. There is nothing better, more satisfying, or more secure than to trust and obey the ones that is always in control, even amid a megastorm. There is nothing better, more satisfying, and more secure than to rest in the one that brings mega calm. That's why people follow him. That's why you ought to follow him. That's why I ought to follow him. Because to have faith in him is the most secure thing. Now the story continues like if that was not enough. And now you find Jesus working in a community of Gentiles, the Gadarenes, the Gadarenes. In verse 28, when he arrived to the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men um, were super violent that no one could pass that way. Now they were violent there could also mean dangerous, meaning that these two demon-possessed men were so possessed by the devil that they were extremely dangerous and no one could get close to them. Now, this is not a sermon and deliverance or demon-possessed people. That's not the point of the text, so I'm not going to talk about that. And actually, I'm going to go quick through this one because I, what I want you to see is what happened. And what is it that we can learn from these evil spirits? Which is super interesting. See, these evil spirits know two things about God and Jesus. Number one, they believe that Jesus was the son of God. And they believe that Jesus had the power, had power over them. That's in verse 29. And they also believed that if Jesus speaks, you submit to him. Crazy, church. Evil spirits know that. That Jesus is God. That he's got ultimate power. And, if he, and that if he speaks, they submit. So that's why in verse 31, it says that these demons beg Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And that's exactly what Jesus does in verse 33. Those tending the pigs ran off. Oh, he, he performed the miracle and says those uh, tending to the pigs ran off and went into town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demons-possessed men. Now, those communities in that context tended to be really small communities, meaning that we can assume that everyone there knew about these two demon-possessed men. Most likely, they know their families. Most likely, they know their history. Most likely they know that they, that they have been suffering for years. So you would expect that in a small community, when people know about these people, they will rejoice when they heard 
that Jesus delivered these two demon-possessed men. But you know that that's not what happened. They got upset. Why did they get upset? Because they lost 2,000 pigs. Isn't that crazy? They love things over people. They love money over people. They love material goods over people. And because of that, in verse 34, it says, Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Please go. You just ruined our economy. So let me ask the question again. Why would anyone willingly decide to follow Jesus if what he demands is so personal and so costly? Because the same Jesus that demands something so personal and so costly from his followers is the same Jesus that would never, ever put things over you. You are the most important thing to him. There's nothing better, there's nothing more satisfying, there's nothing more secure than to believe and to trust in the one that would do anything and sacrifice anything for you. Which then leads me to point number three. We ought to expect the unexpected. Let me ask the question again. Why would anybody willingly lose it all and submit and follow Jesus? The answer is because everything that he's asking of you, the price he's asking you to pay, the the sacrifices he's making you to do, the cause he's making you, he's asking you to embrace is nothing compared to what he, what was demanded of him to save you, what he had to pay at a personal level in order to redeem you, nothing compared what it would cost him to deliver you. And that's all over that text. You know, in verse 20, Jesus is called the son of man. And in verse 29, he's called the son of God, both describing Jesus, obviously. So what that means is that the text tells us that Jesus is God and man, completely God and completely man. But the text also tells tells you that the reason why God becomes a human being is to come and take upon himself the storm that we all deserved. See, that storm is just an image of the cross of Jesus Christ in which Jesus goes to the cross to take upon himself the furious mega storm of the wrath of God. And so we could feel in exchange the completely mega calm of the peace of God. See, no one expected that God, that the God that can command nature and nature submits to him, no one expected that the same God would come and become a tiny human being in order to save the afflicted. Nobody expected that. In verse 20, for example, it says that Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. 
Interesting enough that the same word for laid is is found in John chapter 19, verse 30, when he says that Jesus at the cross bowed the same word he said and gave up his spirit. See, no one expected that the God that commands nature and nature submits to him will be the same God that willingly surrendered his life so we wouldn't drown in our sin. See, in verses 28 and 29, Jesus delivered two men from the oppression of the evil one by commanding the evil spirits to leave them. See, no one expected that the same God would submit to the evil of the cross and experience shame, rejection, and injustice in order to deliver us from our oppression. This is why the gospel sets us free. See, no one expected that. So let me ask the question one more time. Why would anyone willingly decide to follow Jesus if he demands, if what he demands is so personal and so costly? And the answer is simple. He sacrificed it all for you. What he's asking of me is nothing compared to what he did for me. What he wants me to surrender is nothing compared to the reality that in the midst of my storms, he's still there. That what he's asking of you is nothing compared to the reality of knowing that he would always choose you over everything else. That's why we follow. Count the cost and follow him. He's so worthy. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we confess that at times we too are people of little faith. That many times it is much easier, Lord, to allow our fears and emotions to control what we do and who we are instead of trusting who you are. Lord, I I know that the reality of what it means to be a human being is that we live in the middle of a storm. And that sometimes the storms seem bigger than you. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit that you help us see that regardless of what we go through, number one, you are always there. The powerful God always there. The God that could command and everything submits to. And the God that would always choose us over everything. Please help us believe that. We believe. Help our unbelief. And we pray in the name of Jesus. And we all say. We're going to respond with. My Jesus, I love thee. And I was looking at the last line of every verse says, if ever I loved thee, my Jesus, it's now.
How special. Let's stand and respond. Psalmist says that God speaks and the mountains melt. That is our God. He speaks and mountains melt. The same God 
speaks this to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Have a blessed day. Church, you are sent.